Lesson 7 for February 11 through to 17, The Holy Spirit and the Fruit of the Spirit. Sabbath afternoon, February 11. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to open your word this week, we thank you that the Holy Spirit does create changes in our lives. And this week we're going to study about the fruit of living with the Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and that these fruit may be evident in our own personal lives. Bless us each one, we pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Let's read that again, Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is the true essence of the Christian life. While the Apostle Paul lists nine different aspects of this fruit, it is nevertheless one fruit and has to be seen in its entirety. The fruit of the Spirit does not tell us what a person might be able to do for God through spiritual gifts and talents. Rather, it shows how the person lives for God. It tells who the person is. All the virtues that are listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are present in Jesus Christ. Hence, the fruit of the Spirit is the life of Jesus Christ in us, made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not something we achieve by purely human effort. It is possible to produce and display some of the same virtues through the exercise of our willpower. But that's not the same as what the Holy Spirit does in us. What we produce ourselves is like a wax fruit compared to the real. Wax fruits are artificial. From a distance they look just as beautiful, but the taste is immeasurably inferior to the real. Real fruit is not manufactured. It grows out of a relationship. When the Holy Spirit connects us with Jesus through his written word, his characteristics begin to be revealed in our own lives. Sunday, February 12, The Condition of Fruitfulness Question. Read John chapter 15, verses 1 through to 11. Why can fruit come forth only of a living relationship with Jesus, the vine? Why is abiding in Jesus so important? How do we abide in him? John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, 
bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. The first secret of a genuine Christian fruit-bearing is to abide in Christ. Apart from Christ, we cannot produce genuine spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is not imposed upon us from outside, but is the result of the life of Christ within us. In our text, John 15, 1-11, Jesus tells us that fruit-bearing is the result of the life of Christ, the vine, flowing through the branches of the believers. The growth of the fruit is God's work through Jesus Christ. The responsibility of the believer is to abide in Christ. When Christ dwells in our thoughts, he will become visible in our actions. Jesus lives his life in us. The life Christ lived will be reproduced in us, in the sense that we will reflect his character. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of Jesus, produced by the Holy Spirit in the followers of Christ. When Christ dwells in us, we will, as it says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In the words of Jesus, in Matthew 7, verses 17 and 18, Every good tree bears good fruit, but the rotten tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a rotten tree produce good fruit. The good fruit is the natural product of our abiding relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. When we cooperate with the Spirit's inner promptings on our hearts, the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our lives. Our characters will be transformed to reflect the character of Jesus Christ in what we say and do and even think. The Holy Spirit will give us power to live victoriously and to develop the virtues that are characteristic of those who are God's children. So to finish the day, in 2 Timothy 3.5, the Apostle Paul describes people who will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. What is the difference between a religious life and a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit? How can we know which kind of life we ourselves are living? Monday, February 13, The Fruit of Love Question. Read Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, and 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Why is love the first and foremost aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? And how does love affect all the following aspects of this fruit? 
First of all, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love appropriately leads and crowns the various characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit and permeates the whole fruit. In a sense, all other qualities listed can be seen as aspects of love, because God is love, as we have read so many times in 1 John 4.8. The greatest Christian virtue is love, as we've just read in 1 Corinthians 13.13. God's love is the foundation and source of every other goodness. God's love is poured out to us within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, as we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, which reads, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Love is the evidence that we are God's children. This love is far more than mere human affection. It cannot be produced by human effort. It comes as a result of abiding in Christ. Such love is generous and unmerited. It alone has the power to transform. In its tender yet strong nature, divine love leads the sinner to repentance and awakens the desire for something better. Love has the power to unite, even those who formerly were enemies. Thus, by our love for each other, the world will know that Christians are indeed followers of Jesus Christ. This fruit of love will also lead Christians to manifest understanding and sensitivity toward others. It is interesting that the master description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 comes right between chapters 12 and 14. Those two chapters deal with the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 13, however, deals with love, the fruit of the Spirit. Even the superior gifts are nothing without love. 
The gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit are powerless and do not produce the blessing that God intends. Love, however, is the glue that binds all other virtues of the fruit of the Spirit into your united whole and gives authenticity to everything we do. And so to finish today, where does your life lack the quality of love? Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with love toward those people with whom you are dealing on a daily basis. Remember that God also loves us through other people. How can you show others love? How does love affect those other virtues mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit? Tuesday, February 14, Joy, Peace and Patience Romans chapter 14 verse 17 reads, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That is, joy is love's reaction to the blessings of God and His great mercy and forgiveness. Now, human joy often is focused upon earthly things and is affected by the conditions that surround us. The joy that is rooted in the fruit of the Spirit, however, focuses on God and what He has done for us. It is not motivated by surrounding conditions. As God's people, we are to be joyful. This does not mean that we have to smile all the time, even though a friendly smile expresses much. But our trust in God will give us abundant reasons to rejoice with unspeakable joy over what He has done for us and in us. Spiritual joy is the result of active faith. Question. Reread John 14.27 along with Romans 14.17. How is peace related to the work of the Holy Spirit? John 14.27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And Romans 14 verse 17 For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace is more lasting than joy. Peace comes as a result of being justified by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we are at peace with God, the Holy Spirit will lead us to be peaceful and patient toward others. Because the God of peace will be with us, as we read in Philippians 4.9, through the Holy Spirit, we will not be quarrelsome and vengeful toward others. Instead, we will seek to live as peaceably as possible with everyone, as it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Question. Read Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. How does patience reflect the character of God? 
2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Patience is not a prevalent characteristic of human beings. It means putting up with others or with circumstances, even when things do not run smoothly. Yet, even in trials, we are not alone. God sustains us through His Holy Spirit and builds patience, which is a characteristic mark of the believers in the end time, as we have read so often in Revelation 14, verse 12. Only those who aim at a worthy goal can be patient. And so to finish today, joy, peace and patience. How much of this fruit do you experience in your life? In which of these areas do you need more work done in you? Wednesday, February 15. Kindness, Goodness and Faithfulness question. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4. Why does genuine kindness have such positive appeal to other people? Where do you see God's kindness in his dealings with humanity? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Kindness is the word frequently used in describing God's dealings with his people. Kindness also describes our dealings with others in their failures. God could be quite harsh in dealing with our faults, yet he treats us as a loving father would treat a learning child, as we read in Hosea chapter 11 verses 1 to 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the Baals and burned incense to carved images. I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped and fed them." Perhaps nothing discredits our Christian testimony and ministry more frequently than unkindness. It does not cost money to be kind, but it can open the door to the heart of another person. No matter how firm we must be in reproof, we need not become unkind in our dealings with others, whatever their faults and issues. To reprove in kindness is perhaps the greatest sign of nobility of character. Question. Read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. What accompanies goodness in this passage? For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness is love in action. The goodness that grows as the fruit of the Spirit also includes works and acts of goodness. It is goodness shown to others in practical works of love. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, there will be a positive outflow of goodness to the people with whom we come in contact. Question. Read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. 
Why is it important to be trustworthy and faithful in our Christian walk with God? Galatians 5 verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. What is in view here is the faithfulness of character and conduct brought forth through the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness means trustworthiness or being reliable. Those who are faithful do what they promise to do. Faithfulness is also a characteristic of Jesus Christ, who in Revelation 1.5 is called the faithful witness, and of God the Father who keeps his promises and is faithful in what he does. In our faithfulness, we reflect the image of God in our lives. Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 510 and 511, It is not the great results we attain, but the motives from which we act, that weigh with God. He prizes goodness and faithfulness more than the greatness of the work accomplished. Thursday, February 16, Gentleness and Self-Control Question. Read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 23 and Matthew 5 verse 5. Why is meekness or gentleness so important for Christ-like leadership? Galatians 5.23 Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And Matthew 5.5 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Gentleness or meekness does not mean weakness. It is not cowardice or lack of leadership. On the contrary, Moses was called the meekest man on earth in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, yet he was a powerful leader of God's people. Meek people are not boisterous, quarrelsome or selfishly aggressive. Instead, they serve in a gentle spirit. Meekness can be the outward expression of an inward faith and confidence, not in oneself, of course, but in the power of God, which works within us. Oftentimes, those who are loud, boisterous and assertive are covering up insecurities and fears. Question. Read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 23. And Proverbs 16.32. What misery comes when we do not exercise self-control? What blessings do we gain if we are self-controlled and temperate in our lives? Galatians 5.23 Gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And Proverbs 16.32 He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The last aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance or self-control. Here is where we all need to be careful, for who doesn't struggle in one area or another with self-mastery? Before one can rule a city, a community or a church, one has to be able to control his or her own spirit. True temperance is control, not only over food and drink, but over every phase of life. All the above-mentioned aspects are part of the one fruit of the Spirit. 
When the Bible describes God's work in our lives, the ethical aspects of holiness have priority over the charismatic gifts. Christ-likeness in all its facets is what really matters in the life of the believer. Because the fruit of the Spirit is the common distinguishing mark of all believers everywhere, it produces a visible unity in His church. So to finish today, think about areas of your life in which you should be more self-controlled. Perhaps you are in one area, but not so much in another. Why is it important to have, through the power of God, control over all areas? Bring your answer to class on Sabbath. Friday, February 17. From the book The Holy Spirit by S. Chadwick in Arthur Walkington Pink, uh, chapter 30, we read, in modern language, the passage in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 could read something like this. The fruit of the Spirit is an affectionate, lovable disposition, a radiant spirit and a cheerful temper, a tranquil mind and a quiet manner, a forbearing patience in provoking circumstances and with trying people, a sympathetic insight and tactful helpfulness, generous judgment and a big-souled charity, loyalty and reliableness under all circumstances, humility that forgets self in the joy of others, in all things self-mastered and self-controlled, which is the final mark of perfecting. This is the kind of character that is the fruit of the Spirit. Everything is in the word fruit. It is not by striving, but by abiding, not by worrying, but by trusting, not of works, but of faith. End of quote. And from Ye Shall Receive Power, page 76, Ellen White writes, If the love of the truth is in your heart, you will talk of the truth. You will talk of the blessed hope that you have in Jesus. If you have love in your heart, you will seek to establish and build up your brother in the most holy faith. If a word is dropped that is detrimental to the character of your friend or brother, do not encourage this evil speaking. It is the work of the enemy. Kindly remind the speaker that the Word of God forbids that kind of conversation. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, in class, talk about the final question at the end of Thursday's study regarding the need for self-control. Why, if we are saved by grace, is victory over sin so important? After all, isn't the gospel about forgiveness of sin? At the same time, think of the character of Judas and what the sin of covetousness did to him. What can we learn from his example about the answer to the question about the need for victory? Also, how does what Ellen White says here help shed light on the question of the need for victory? And this is a quote from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 53, one wrong tray of character, one sinful desire cherished, will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. And question two, why is the fruit of the Spirit more important than any gifts of the Spirit? And three, 
read aloud 1 Corinthians 13 in class and talk about what it means. Why does Paul put such a big emphasis on the need for love? How can we learn to love the way that Paul talks about showing love here? Why is death to self and abiding in Christ so crucial, especially in loving those whom we truly dislike? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is titled, A Place to Belong. Lola awoke with a heavy heart. It was Sabbath, and she was homesick. She remembered her mother and father who would be going to church today. In Kenya, it seemed that nearly everyone went to church. But in Denmark, where Lila now lived, it seemed that few people attended the fine churches scattered across the city. In fact, she had been so busy in the two months since she had arrived that she hadn't thought much about finding a church either. Lela had come to Copenhagen to visit her aunt. When the woman suggested that Lila find work as an au pair, a live-in babysitter, Lila agreed. She obtained the necessary visa and found a job with a wonderful family who treated her well. She began saving money to attend college when she returned home. But she hadn't found a church home. Suddenly, she turned on the computer and searched for a Seventh-day Adventist church in Copenhagen. She was thrilled to discover an international Adventist congregation that worshipped in the city. Quickly, she copied down the address, but how could she get there? Her aunt wasn't an Adventist, so Lilla decided to take the bus. She found a map and hurried to catch the bus. Arriving at the place where the Adventists normally meet, Lilla was dismayed to find the room empty. Then she noticed a letter explaining that the members were on a retreat. The letter gave directions, so Leela hurried to catch a bus to the region outside the city where the retreat was being held. She got lost several times before she found the retreat centre and arrived just as the sermon was ending. But Leela didn't care. She had found fellow believers. She met Rose from Uganda, who invited her to join her for lunch. Rose introduced Leela to other members of the English-speaking church. She met people from around the world, Iceland, Philippines, Tanzania and America, as well as from Denmark. The members welcomed her warmly and invited her to join them the next Sabbath, and Lela was determined not to miss another Sabbath of fellowship and worship. Lela rejoices that she has found her spiritual home in Denmark in the international congregation, she feels loved and nurtured there, and in turn welcomes and nurtures others who come. The International English Language Church in Copenhagen represents Adventists from at least 16 countries, yet they find unity and fellowship in their adopted country and their new church home. A portion of your 13th Sabbath offering in 2010 helped to provide funds for a new place of worship for this International Adventist Congregation. Thank you, and have a great Sabbath. This lesson has been read by Dr. Percy Harold in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired. It is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel. Remember, God is always faithful.